As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. Across the line for Bozak to Van Riemsdyk. Back into France and he scores! Bozak going to the net! Kessel working in with a snapshot. He scores! Phil Kessel! Shot to flex rebound. Holy mackerel! What a save by Bernier! Shooting! Scores! Henry Cadell! What a save! Off the crossfire! We are back with another edition of the Leaf Report podcast. James, it's been a long time. How are you? Good, good. At least one of us is in studio. <laughs> so one of us showed up, one of us didn't. We won't say who. So it's been quite some time since we talked. So let's circle back a month plus uh, to right after the year. We expected, obviously, what was going to take place uh, with Peter Horacek. Dave Nonis, we sort of thought might happen it wasn't entirely clear the scouting staff was something we didn't expect going back to that day was that a decision you think uh with hindsight should have been made a year earlier or was brendan shanahan right to take the year survey everything including that front office including dave nonis including you know the scouts or should he have made changes like that last summer I thought he was going to change a lot of the coaching staff a year earlier. You know, the, you know, the only frustrating thing, and it, it includes the coaching staff, you know, the only frustrating thing I think with him keeping pretty much everything intact through that first off season is it was really a wasted opportunity. And, you know, Shanahan said he wanted to evaluate everybody. Well, you know, those of us that had been following the team closely for a long time, we knew what, what the problems were. And Brendan Shanahan, I mean, the important thing is that he came to the right conclusions. I mean, he saw that the scouting staff had changed, and I think bringing in Mark Hunt, Mark Hunter, was a was a brilliant idea, and allowing him to repopulate the scouting staff makes sense. Um, but it was just a slow process. I mean, Shanahan hadn't run a team before, and that might have been part of why it took so long. So, 
you know, it, I, I wonder if they would have gotten rid of Dave Nonis, you know, maybe. Uh, the, the, the tough thing, I think, for Shanahan is when do you do that, right? I mean, when do you, when do you make that move? Do you do it before free agency? Well, then who's going to guide you through that free agency process? Do you do it in the middle of the summer? Well, then who are you going to be able to hire that's going to be a good GM hire? So, you know, in that sense, he was in a, a, a bit of a tough spot. Um, and the most important thing is that they've come through to the other side. I think if they bring in someone and they hire a really, really good GM, like some of the names that are out there, that they'll be okay. But uh, it's it's still going to be a very, very interesting summer. Okay, two points I want to make on, on that. One, it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned, like, what would they have done had they fired Dave Nonis right when, you know, Brendan Shanahan was hired or right around that time? Because suddenly you'd, you'd be kind of building the front office from the ground up and, and needing to do it right away. Like, you would have to... If you were going to do that, you'd fire, you know, presumably Loisel, Poulin, Nonis, and you'd have to suddenly just populate a front office in a matter of weeks. So that that point makes sense. Like, it doesn't... It, it, yeah. doesn't, it wouldn't have made sense to do it before the draft, before free agency. Uh, but maybe after those points, maybe it makes sense. Two, the argument that I've heard counter to what you're saying that you know uh, they wasted a year, which I agree with. The, the counter argument, though, is look where it got them. You know, they got Mike Babcock; it worked out. But I would say to that, like they just had arguably the most turbulent season in the franchise's history. So, like, does the end result make everything that happened worth it, or like, what do you think along that point? I- you know, I think the more important thing would have been to change the coaching staff before the season because it's kind of it looks like a lost year of development for some of their young players. But right. I mean, then again, well, that's I mean, my point, right? Because you look at Riley Gardner, Kadri, whoever you want to name. Yeah, and it was it was a really really hard year on those guys. It was a really hard year on all of the players. But you know, do you want your young guys going through that? Do you want them? You know, it's it's not like any of them took steps forward. I wonder if you bring in a different coach. I mean, maybe they're. They're in different opportunities, or maybe you know it, it was it was like really like treading water the first few months of the season. I know they got off to a good start, but yeah, I mean it's you look back at how the year went, and I don't know how anyone can say yeah that that was how they wanted it to go. Other than the draft pick, I mean the draft pick's really the the only thing that worked out. And the other thing that's worked out is that they didn't make a big hire in terms of a coach. There weren't a lot of coaches out there that Brendan Shanahan was really enamored with, and that set the table for them to make their big hire this year, when obviously Mike Babcock was available. So if Brendan Shanahan was playing the long game and he always thought that Babcock was going to be available and that was his guy, I mean, good on him, but, you know... It's just a risky play, because, like, what what happens if they don't get Babcock, which was a legitimate possibility, and then you end up maybe with a good coach, you probably end up with a good coach, but, like, does that still make it worth it? Like, I don't think you can ignore or you can just take into account the result without, like, looking at the process of how you get there. I mean, I guess the important thing is that they didn't finish, you know, 10th last or 12th last in a lost season. They finished bad right. enough that they're going to get a very, very good player. I mean, I was, you know, today in the paper I wrote about, about the Ducks and how you don't have to necessarily tank to be a good team. I think the Ducks are one of, they've proven in these playoffs, they're one of the better teams in the league. Uh, the Ducks franchise is one of the better franchises in the league. Last 10 years, they're fifth and wins, being both regular season and the playoffs. Um, you know, that, that's a model you can emulate. And I guess the, the point is, I mean, you look at what the Leafs have. They've picked uh, O'Reilly fifth, Nylander eighth. They're going to pick fourth overall this year. 
I mean, how many more really, really high picks do they have to get before they can start the road up? And I think that some people in the media talk about the Leafs as, oh, this is going to be a, a five or a six or a seven-year process to build this back up. You know, if they've got a good front office there, if they're making smart decisions, it shouldn't take nearly that long. I mean, they're starting to build that foundation of young players right now. I can see another year where they're, they're, they're a poor team, and it'll be very interesting. If they keep Jonathan Bernier and he has a bit better year and Mike Babcock allows them to improve, how bad of a pick are they even going to get next year? Yeah, but the difference that you're, that you're not accounting for is, like, you look at the Ducks, and, and I read your story, and you look at, like, a team like the Lightning – They've got a lot of like prospects internally that have come up and, and they've hit on. So the du- that's the that- Ducks or the Lightning. Both. Yeah, they both do. Yeah, both. I think that those two organizations are. I mean, I was looking at it midway through this season. Teams that the most they were getting from players that are under twenty five years old. Those guys, those teams were off the charts. And not only were they really, really good at getting contributions from young players, they were really good teams. I mean, there are other teams that have a lot of young players like Florida and. And, and the Islanders, but they're not as good as Tampa and the Ducks. I mean, Tampa and the Ducks look like they're going to be good for a long time. Well, and the other thing, the other point with those teams in particular, and that's why I would veer towards it taking longer than shorter, but who knows, is they have those anchors. Like, they have... Yeah. That's hard. Like, they have Getzlaff and Perry. They have... You look at Tampa, they started with Hedman and Stamkos. That matters. Like, if you don't have those game-changing, franchise-changing type of players, it becomes a lot more difficult. Like, it's easier to sit kind of in the middle. Yes, you can have a lot of good young players if you do that side of things right, but if you don't have, like, those anchor-type guys, like, where are you? Yeah, but what I'm saying is that you don't, like, you don't have to get all of those guys first overall. I mean... No, not, you know, not at all. I, like, I think there's a notion that you have to pick in the top five to get a really good player. You don't. But they don't have, like, who do they have right now that, that is that guy? They need to turn that 24th overall pick into a stud defenseman, you know? I mean, if you can pick a Keith and a Seabrook uh, beyond the top 10 in the draft or... You know, there's tons of examples of good defensemen. I mean, the PK Subban, Carlson, I think was 15th overall. You know, there's they, 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 Shea Weber was a second round pick. You're asking where those stars are going to come from. They got to find them in the draft. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the bottom line. I mean, William Nylander needs to pan out. Uh, they need this fourth overall and the 24th overall. They need to hit on those two picks really, really badly. They, you know, they desperately have to hit on those picks. Potentially, they're going to get another good pick. You know, I could see them. You know, maybe they'll get a fifth overall pick the year after. They need to hit on that pick, and there you go. I mean, then you're starting to build that prospect base. So, the impressive thing to me about Tampa and Anaheim is they're not just finding those picks in the top five. I mean, obviously, obviously the Lightning have have Stamkos and Hedman, and those are unbelievable players. Mm-hmm. But part of what's carried them is undrafted player in Tyler Johnson. You know, a, a late late round pick in in Palat second rounder in Kucherov. I mean, there's there's a lot of examples through the lineup and, and the, we can do the same thing for the Ducks of, of guys like, you know, Bolesky and, you know, it's they've they've done very, very good jobs of finding talent in a whole bunch of different ways and that's what the Leafs need to do. You know, it doesn't just come down to, to just that fourth overall pick and that's the only chance they've got. Well, and that's why you know this and, and obviously people listening know this, why they're putting so much stock and so much responsibility and so much I don't know, so many accolades on the shoulders of Mark Hunter, but that's how this gets turned around. Like, everybody um, last week was celebrating at the ACC. It was like this this celebration that they hired Mike Babcock. That's great. Like, it's really good to have a good coach. But if you don't get good players, it, like, it doesn't matter. And that's why I, there, it seems 
you look at everybody that they've hired, that they're really putting all their eggs in the basket of becoming a team that, that finds its own players because for you know a decade now they haven't done it successfully. Have they ever done it? I mean, you, they, you, no, they haven't you, really ever done it, but they didn't. They didn't need to do it in the past. You know, I shouldn't say you, you, they didn't need to do it, but because they could outspend teams, it didn't matter as, as much. much, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they had good teams in those years. I used to watch those teams all the time when sure. I was living in BC, and they were wildly entertaining. And you're right. I mean, they did spend. They did have a high payroll, but you know that, that that's the landscape. And you know, part of what's kind of frustrating is people see there's only one way to do that. There's only one, you know, you've got to, you got to do what the Oilers did. Well, I mean, there's lots of teams that do what the Oilers did, maybe not to the degree that they did, that haven't been successful. I mean, the Islanders have been bad for a long time. Atlanta was bad for a long time. Columbus was bad for a long time. There's a long list of those teams that don't get good. You know, the Islanders now are starting to turn around, but there's no surefire way to do it other than have really good people. And you're right. I mean, they're putting a lot of faith in Mark Hunter. If Mark Hunter totally bombs out and this doesn't work out and they focus too heavily on the OHL, let's say, and they, they are just, just zeroing in on one league and they're missing all these other players. I mean, I think Europe, Sweden, and the Czech Republic and Russia, you look at what, uh, what uh, um, uh, Tampa, oh, yep. Tampa has done. I mean, they're finding players over there. that know. I, I think the most under-scouted leagues and the leagues where you can get the best players uh, in, in the later rounds, fourth and beyond, uh, Sweden, Czech Republic, Russia. I mean, teams are scared of taking Russian players. Steve Eiserman hasn't been scared, and they've got a lot of great Russian players now in in their their system. So, yeah, you know, it, it can't just come down to the OHL. So that's that would be my one concern. Looking at what the Leafs are doing with the scouting department is that it's it's Dubas and and Hunter, and they've hired like basically all OHL guys so far. I mean, there are a couple more GMs from the OHL that they're bringing in. I was talking to uh, uh, someone in, that works in the OHL, and they said there, there's kind of like this frenzy of, of, of everyone that's on a team, that's on a staff, that's a, a scout or whatever. They're all excited that, oh, maybe the Leafs are going to hire me. I mean, I think the Leafs, Mark Hunter has been flooded with resumes from people that work for the staff of all the OHL teams because everyone sees this as their big chance. But you need more than just the OHL. I mean, they, they need to make sure that they're scouting everywhere else. And I think Hunter and, and Dubas are smart guys, and they're probably going to do that. But that's going to be that's going to be the criticism of them if they fail, that they they only had experience in the one league. Well, and I like that you brought up the Lightning and, and how they've done it with some of their picks. To me, like it's it's funny you mentioned the thing with you know Russian players. I was watching the playoffs earlier in the spring, and, and that struck me like at one point because there there was for the last few years. I don't know, you tell me how long. There's been this idea, you, you can't take Russian players. Like, there's this KHL threat, you can't do it. And, and like, then you see a guy like Nikushkin fall, I think he went 11th, and, and, and you're thinking, why, why, look at this guy, like, he is, he looks like he could be Evgeny Malkin. Why? Yeah, and does. so one of the things that I think that they're doing that, I, that, that makes sense to me and I like, and it doesn't always rub people the right way, is they're, they're not so much abiding by all these preconceived notions. At least that seems to be what they're saying. We'll see if they follow through. But can you get that sense from Brendan Shanahan that, that he's not just going to, you know, well, it's been done this way, we're going to keep doing it this way? Yeah, I mean, they're certainly doing it differently, and it opens themselves to criticism. I mean, it, it, the radio stations had me on a couple of times to talk about how unorthodox it is, and we don't have a GM, what does that mean? And you and I have talked about that, we've debated that. You know, in, in the end... If they fail, they're going to be totally ripped to shreds for the way that Brennan Shanahan has done things. And if they succeed, they're going to be really praised for doing things differently. And, I mean, that's just the way it works, right? I mean, the thing I like is that they're not just doing it the way that it's always done 
been done for the sake of things. They're not bringing in a bunch of cronies that have worked in a lot of other NHL front offices. They're trying to find not just player talent in different places. They're trying to find management talent in different places. And I think that that's smart. I mean, how many other teams would hire a 28-year-old as the assistant GM? I don't think it had been done in the NHL. And now the Coyotes just hired a kid that's 25 years old as their assistant GM. So, you know, it's the league is starting to move that way. Brendan Shannon did his research on that, uh, on, on analytics, but not just analytics. You know, the, 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 the way that what you're talking about with Tampa with finding those Russian players, it's about finding inefficiencies in the market and exploiting those. And that's how the Lightning did that. I mean, they just found that these players are going to be higher bet picks because other teams aren't going for them. I mean, the, the goalie they got, Vasilevsky, looks like he's going to be very good. Uh, Nemesnikov looks like he's going to be good. Uh, Nesterov, the defenseman, I really like the way he plays for Tampa Bay. They're, not, they're kind of using him as their seventh defenseman right now. He's going to be very, very good, I, I predict. Uh, Kucherov, I mean... Uh, well, how about even like someone like Alex Kalorn, who never seems to get mentioned? Yeah. Who isn't yeah. Russian, obviously, but... You know? Yeah, I, if 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 Tampa makes the finals and I get sent down there to cover it, which I'm I'm hoping that I'll I'll be there. Are you going to cover the finals? I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure at this point. Yeah, I'm not we'll sure see. either. But but if I do, and it, it kind of looks like Tampa's going to advance, but we'll see. Um, I I want to do a Kalorn story because I mean, the the thing that no one realizes about Kalorn, we everyone talks about the triplets, everyone talks about Stamkos. Kalorn is first on that team in ice time for forwards. He's been playing over twenty minutes a game all through the playoffs. I mean, I don't think anyone realizes that, but they're using him more than anybody else, and uh, literally he never gets talked about. And he's got some real nice moves. I mean, there was that one goal. I don't think it was the last game, but the one before. He just opened up a lot of ice for himself right in the slot, and it's like, whoa, look at this guy and. You know, he's a guy that he played for Harvard. I think he's from Nova Scotia. You know, he's a big he, guy. He he went the route less traveled. He was a third round pick, and boom! I mean, look what he's doing. So, you know, it's it's about being willing to look in a whole bunch of different places. And I think that the only trap that the Leafs management has to avoid is not just looking in the OHL, but they're going to have certainly a, a very good good base of knowledge out of that league. Well, and that's been like the, you look at the failures of management over the years. I don't know what you want to rank number one, but that's that's probably number one. Like, if you don't have players constantly coming up who are going to be able to play, how do, like how do you expect to be good? You know, you're just going to keep going to the draft and try, or going to free agency and trying to buy guys. Like, you look at, like Chicago is a really good example. They just lose players and they replace them. Like, they have these guys. Like now they have Tara Vinen. Like, you know, they, they how many teams in the olden days? Would dump a guy, you know, who scores the cup-winning goal, and and they realize this is a player who's overvalued. We can get rid of him. We'll replace him. Tanner Vinen's a great example. Do you remember? I mean, he was supposed to go fifth or sixth overall. And if he draft, fell out of the top ten, didn't he? I think he fell well, wherever Chicago went. It was like 18th or something like that. I mean, it's because he, he's small. Because he's from uh, Europe, you know. Sometimes you don't get a lot of looks at these guys. Kopitar fell to 11th for LA, and I mean, yeah. look at Kopitar's one of the best players in the world. I mean, it's because he was from a weird country. He a lot of people hadn't had good looks at him, and the guy was just a superstar. And I remember in that draft, the people who did know a lot about Kopitar had seen him play international said. This guy should have went third or fourth overall, and I think if you redid that draft, he might have even gone higher than that. So, you know, it's it, you have to be be willing to to find players where other teams are missing them. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like Moneyball. I mean, we're oh, it's exactly what it is. We're and, twelve or thirteen years past that, but it's the same philosophy. Well, and and you hit on the key point of Moneyball that that the word doesn't get mentioned enough. It's inefficiency. Like there was. You know, you look at the Okanese, there wasn't this idea that on-base percentage mattered. You know, it was it was average, it was homers, it was RBIs, and suddenly, you know, they started looking at, at things that the market 
hadn't yet anticipated. And now what what's interesting in baseball now is like that's that's so that's so old. It's so yesterday. Like it doesn't they're so far ahead and it's gonna be interesting once, you know, hockey gets to that point with hit stats. But anyway, that's a different conversation. Did, did you see that quote that Kyle Dubas had at, at Sloan along those lines? And he basically said baseball, he's a big baseball guy, and I think it's helped him in sort of his hockey management philosophy. At Sloan, he said, you know, baseball is in the 10th or 11th iteration of that. Like, they're they're looking for the first inefficiency was, was that on-base percentage. The second inefficiency was, you'll know all the stats better than me, but, and then they're already down to 10th or 11th. I mean, all it's become accepted practice that all these different things teams are looking for are there. Hockey's basically on the first or the second one, and you know, when we talk about Corsi and, and puck possession and these things, a lot of fans either don't understand it or get very frustrated by it. Not even just fans. I mean, media, people in the game. But what it's about is about inefficiencies. It's not about that the whole game is Corsi or that if a guy has a good Corsi like Dan Winnick, then he's better than Crosby or, or whatever. It's about finding traits in players that previously were hard, were difficult to measure that other, and, and about that, that other teams don't see. And I think that you, if you look at, I think Dan Winnick was a guy that, that, that they brought in for basically a song after Dubas was hired. Uh, he had one of the best seasons of anyone with the Leafs. Went to Pittsburgh. They were playing him on the first line. You know, that's the kind of player that they need to find. And and I think that that Corsi was one of the things that allowed them to find a guy like that. Well, and and, and so you go back to you know, for example, let's use the Burke era. He had this notion: you've got to have this certain type of player. And so when you come in, you say, "Well, we need all North Americans." Suddenly, like you're, you're cutting off half the market, like you're cutting off all this available talent. Like you look, I think his first draft, everybody they took was North American. And so like to your point, like it's just if you're not open to different things and finding value in different places, like you're just where, where are you? Well, you know I mean? all, yeah, it's almost like what they wanted was all these things that are overvalued. I mean, they wanted size. And, and even recently, like even yeah. this past, like last summer, you know, they were still chasing leadership and grit and core, like in toughness. And you need Josh Georges to come in and help your room. And even now, like James, this is one of the things that I think is interesting going on in media. We still have media obsessed with leadership. Like leadership is the reason the captaincy is the reason that they're in the mess that they are. You know what I mean? Like it's still, it's still here. It's still not gone anywhere. Yeah. And that's the other thing that, I mean, guys like you and I are trying to introduce analytics as like another measure of, I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. People are saying, well, the Leafs don't have enough leadership. That's why they lost. They don't have enough talent. They just good players. They don't have good, like, like, they have good players. They have no great players. I mean, who's the great player on the Leafs? I mean, I, uh, we can. We, I guess we can debate about Phil Kessel, but Kessel and Funuf are good players that need to be supported to be great, and they've just never. They've never had that. I mean, Kessel's had to do it all on his own, and and yet you would think, like based on the way that that some things are talked about, that he is the problem, and that and that I don't know why it, it, it's frustrated me more in the last year. But people have this idea that, that Dion Phaneuf is the reason that they're bad or Phil Kessel is the reason that they're bad. No, it's because they didn't surround those players with other good players. So suddenly all of Phil Kessel's flaws get magnified and, and you're not looking at, you know what I mean? Like you're not looking at at what's actually wrong. You're looking at what you can see. Well, you look at a team like the Ducks and the players that they got in the drafts between 2008 and, and 2012, five drafts there, it's incredible. I mean, there's a huge amount of talent there, and they've also traded away some of those players and got back good value. So 
there's five drafts. I can't remember the exact number. They, let's say they pulled eight or nine NHL players out of that. I mean, it's tons of assets there. How many players did the Leafs get out of those drafts between 2008 and 2012? And I know it's a bad question to ask because we don't have it right in front of us, but I know the answer is not very many, especially if you look outside of the top couple of picks. I mean, they just have not had really good players come out of the second, third, fourth round, and they've traded away so many of those picks. You know, Dave Bowen, they gave away three picks. Bernier, they gave away a pick. Um, you know, I'm sure there are more examples. I mean, this, it just feels like they were bleeding picks in these years when they desperately needed that talent. So, no, and they didn't hit, like you said. Okay, yeah. so this is 2008 to, would you say, 2012? Yeah. Okay, these are the players who played in the NHL. Luke Shen, Jimmy Hayes, Greg Pattern, who obviously was traded, Andrew McWilliam, Jerry D'Amigo, Jamie Devan, Jesse Blacker, Nazem Kadri, Sam Carrick, Petter Gramberg, Greg McKegg, uh, David Broll, Josh yeah. Levo, Stuart Percy, so and Morgan Riley. Just, those guys are just now starting to come in, and well, and in, 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 in some cases not. Yeah, I mean they look like border marginal NHLers. Yeah, they look like marginal marginal tweener guys. Yeah, whereas the Ducks are getting players like uh, I'm trying to like Paul the Mary Ducks. Or, like, forget about the Ducks. No. Like Tampa, Chicago. Look at Detroit. Like yeah. every there's you're right. There's this idea that you have to have high first round picks. You don't. You just have to find a way, you know, to hit. You're right about yeah Chicago. I mean Tara Vinen. What about Brandon Saad or Andrew Shaw? Marcus Kruger, or, Nicholas yeah. Chalmerson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, to to that point, let's let's move on. We should talk about uh, what's most recently gone on here, and that's Mike Babcock. That was, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but you know, they were they were trying to hit the home run um, earlier. I think like maybe a few weeks back when you and I were both in studio. I think for like Macko and Cause, there was this idea that they shouldn't get that guy now because they're they're going to be they're not going to be a very good team. It makes sense, though, when you look at the big picture, to go out, get the best coach, and, you know, hope he starts turning around your young players. Why wouldn't you want good people on your team? I mean, if if you accept that Mike Babcock's one of the best five coaches in the world, I think we can debate that maybe Ben Babcock's not the best coach it's in the world. It's become a little bit inflated. The media it, has yeah. gone a little bit crazy. Yeah, I mean, he's been made out to be the next Scotty Bowman, but Mike Babcock is a good coach. I think sure. we can. I think if you're if you're arguing that, then then I think you're a little bit crazy. I mean, the, the team he had since Nick Lidstrom retired in 2012 has not been that good. I mean, you look at the blue line that the Red Wings had, and frankly, I think that they outplayed Tampa Bay in a lot of those games in the first round. Yep. They outplayed Tampa Bay heavily in Game Seven and just managed to to lose. They didn't have a lot of offense. Lightning obviously had a lot more offense. Red Wings were playing a rookie goalie. You know, there's a lot of things you can say, but from a pure strategy and, and, and coaching perspective, the Red Wings outcoached the Lightning, and I think John Cooper's a pretty good coach. I mean, the Leafs have added another weapon here, and the thing, too, is, is that it's, it's not about next season. It's just not about next season. It's, you got this guy for eight years, you know, provided that you know, he doesn't get fired or doesn't leave before that. You've got one of the top five coaches, top Five, six, seven, whatever you want to, wherever you want to put them, coaches in the NHL for eight years, and like I was just saying, the Leafs shouldn't plan on being bad for four or five years if if they're making the right decisions. So if they're going to start this road up, maybe not next year, probably not next year, given that what they've got. If they're going to start the road up in year two or year three, maybe year four at the latest. You still got Babcock for a long time after that, and why wouldn't you want to have that asset? So you know, it 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 it, it sounds like. 
Not that it sounds like. I mean, he has bought in. You know, my, I think Mike, well, Mike Babcock is is going to be a team player, uh, and he wants to be part of what they're doing here. So well, he he surprised me, James, with what he said at that press conference because it was almost like, you know, we have this idea of Mike Babcock, you know, a guy who wants to win, and and it was him who was really emphasizing that this is going to be a process, you know, and it's going to be about you know building a cup type of process and not just being a team that gets in the playoffs and it's going to be big picture and it's 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 like completely opposite from what they've had like when was the last like I guess you'd have to go back to Quinn to to and obviously to different situation but you've got a coach now who kind of sets the program and you know who sets the credibility and I don't think they they had that in Randy Carlisle I don't think they had that in Ron Wilson I don't know why the aura is different but it feels different for some reason with Mike Babcock and maybe it's the credibility that he's built up well, the organization has stopped selling BS, and they've started selling that this is going to take time. This is we're going to go through draft and development. That didn't that wasn't happening before. I mean, they weren't saying that under Ron Wilson. They were giving him brutal goalies, and you know, and, they and taking a teenage Luke Shen and putting him in the NHL. Can you imagine they, them doing that now? They did all kinds of stuff that was totally crazy and totally, yeah. you know, uh, the uh, the opposite of agenda. Now it's, they're all saying the right things. I mean, when they introduced Mike Babcock, they're all saying they're going to pull in the right direction. And Brandon Shanahan said when he, you know, I thought it was interesting. I mean, Brandon Shanahan, I think the Leafs didn't think they were going to get Babcock, basically. I mean, what Sure Shanahan, sounds like it. What Shanahan, they were interviewing Guy Boucher that day. You know, the day that Mike Babcock said the week before when, when he did that interview with Darren Drager in, in Prague at the World Championships, the week before he said, I'm going to decide by Wednesday. And knowing Mike Babcock, he knew he was going to decide on Wednesday, which was four or five days away. That Wednesday, the Leafs were planning on interviewing Guy Boucher. That Wednesday, MLSC was planning on making the big announcement about the Argos going to, to, to BMO Field. You know, there was a huge press conference going on when Mike Babcock decided, and all of the, the Argos and Argos fans got really upset, and some of the Argos players got really upset because the Babcock thing came out and overshadowed that press conference. It's because MLSE and the Leafs didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, they thought that they were a long shot to get him. And I think it speaks volumes about how much, how, how in Mike Babcock actually is that he made that choice and made that decision. But, you know, it's, I, think, I think we probably should have seen that he was ready to leave Detroit. And then once you rule... And once you decide that, I mean, there weren't a lot of other options for him to go, and I can see why he chose Toronto over Buffalo. Why? A lot of reasons. I mean, I, 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 they'll never say it, but I think his wife would much rather wanted to live in, in Toronto than Buffalo. You know, and well, he said they they want to live in a downtown, and you can't really live downtown yeah. in Buffalo. They want to live in a condo in a, one of the big major cities in North America. I mean, he he said he listed them: Montreal, New York. Uh, I can't. I can't remember if he named any other. I mean, he was he was thinking, you know, at one point in my career, it'd be great to coach in one of these cities and one of these great teams. I think that you know, if Montreal was in the mix here, that that's where he would have gone. I mean, that they would have blown Toronto out of the water. I mean, the advantage the Leafs had is that there just weren't a lot of contenders. I mean, Philadelphia, for whatever reason, decided that they weren't they were going to go with a young guy and not go with go after Babcock. So that throws out one team that has unlimited money to spend. There were only two left, Buffalo and Toronto. Yeah. And, you know, Toronto just has some things. It, I thought it was really interesting at that press conference how much the city played into it because we hear so many things about how players don't want to come to Toronto because of X, Y, Z. You know, I'm not from here. I moved here 12, 13 years ago. This is a great city. I love living here. I'll probably live here the rest of my life, you know, as long as work doesn't take me to another city. You know, it can be one of the things that attracts people. And I know some of the, the Leafs players absolutely love living in and playing in Toronto. 
just because of the city. You know, Joffrey yeah. Lupo loves Toronto. Dion Phaneuf loves Toronto. I mean, they... they, they yeah, but historically, and- James, they haven't drawn people. And, and I think a big part of that is they've had bad teams, you know, generally speaking. But, I mean, Toronto's a great city, but there's so much more that comes with playing here. You know, it's a, it's a different it's a different thing. Like one thing I heard from someone inside the game as it related to Babcock that I think is interesting, losing here it's different. Like it's hard to lose here and it's hard to be on a bad team and it's hard to rebuild because everything is always on you. You know, like I I don't I think it's a little bit of BS that you can't win in a city like this because, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox like the Blackhawks, the Lakers, like you yeah. can win in a big market, but it does take it, it is different, you know, and I think that's going to be interesting for Mike Babcock, you know, going from a situation where they're always winning, you know, or at least they're always in it to now for at least a few years, however long it is, it's just going to be about teaching and building and, you know, maybe he'll be, you know, maybe he'll, that challenge will invigorate him. Who knows? And dealing with the media. I mean, I think one of the big, sure. things, that, one of the big things that sunk Ron Wilson is he was, he just was not personable at all. And not just with the media, with the players too. And, you know, they were trying to have him be come in and be a development coach. And I think that Ron Wilson, actually, there were things that were never written. I think he did a good job with Deion Phaneuf. I think he made him a better defensive player when he was here, and they worked on some of the fundamental things. Well, and, and he had a good relationship with Deion Phaneuf. Like, yeah. like I can tell you that. Like, one of the, the more interesting things uh, that you, you'd ever see at practice, James, was at the end of every single practice, literally every single practice, Dion Phaneuf, Ron Wilson would skate to center, and they'd talk for 15, 20 minutes. Every day. Yeah. yeah. So there were things so. like that that Ron Wilson, but he just really blew it in terms of, I mean, the fans turned on him. They were all yelling, fire Wilson. They all hated the guy. And, you know, you look at those teams, they had just brutal goaltending. I mean, yeah. it's kind of unfortunate for Ron Wilson that, that his career is going to end with the Leafs. I mean, I know a lot of people don't like him because of the personality, but I think in terms of the talent, in terms of the X's and O's and the strategy and things like that, he was not a bad coach. He well, the one not. time they had goaltending, they were they were decent. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not I'm not advocating that he's the greatest coach ever. I just think, I mean I think that he he, he it, liked, what I what I'm saying is that the media got to Ron Wilson and he said a lot of things sometimes about his players, you know, uh, and it just turned into this war. And I just don't think you're going to win that war. And I wonder. I mean, you've dealt with Mike Babcock as, as as I have. I wonder if Mike Babcock might sort of skirt that a little bit. I mean, I know he's got a long contract and everything, but. He's gonna. He might have to just change his demeanor just a little bit, just to not have as hard of an edge as he sometimes does, because you don't want to run into the problem that Ron Wilson did, where where everyone turns on the guy, and you know, especially when they're bad for a long. I mean, let's say they're still bad three or four years in. I well, mean, wh- what is it going to be like? You know how it is. There'll, there'll be people yeah. saying what's wrong yeah. with the team is Mike Babcock. The coach needs to go. And yeah, people say he's overrated. People say, oh, that's he had, exactly he had what they'll say. He had, he had, and that's had, the, and James, you know, like that's part of the problem with him being built up as like this this savior. Yeah. That's not the way it works. Like, and, yeah. and if three or four years in, they're still not a good team. It. I don't think it's going to be about Mike Babcock being a good coach. It's going to be that they're they're just not there yet. But like, that's you, you're you're absolutely right. Like, people don't realize. Like, even media don't realize just that part of the day, just that media aspect of the day. That's that's double aside from Montreal. That's double basically what you'd have to deal with just about anywhere else. Like it's and it's the same questions and it feels like it's just an added stress to a coach's 
regimen. Maybe not it doesn't matter, that, but I think it's it's something. Not only that, but whatever you say in that 10 to 12 minutes every day gets picked apart. I mean, yep. if you say something that is a little bit controversial or whatever, it'll be on the talk radio all day. It'll be on the headlines the next day. And I'm not saying this as a criticism of the media because that's the reality. I mean, that's the reality in this market is that the team is so big and there's going to be a lot of people covering them. And Yeah, but, but sorry, James, but stupid to, stuff becomes bigger. Yeah, but, but maybe that's a reality. I, is that what you're what saying? I'm, what I'm saying is that the Leafs have to find a way to win in in that environment. They yeah. have to find a way to crawl out of it, and and I don't think that Brian Burke and Ron Wilson chose the right way to try and win. I mean, they tried to start fights with everybody, and I don't I don't know. I mean, yeah. what Shanahan's done, which is being very very quiet and not choosing sides and not speaking that often. You know, the front office is very very quiet. You know, well, even the big big guys in the media weren't really sure where where the Leafs stood on, on in terms of Babcock. I mean, is they're going to I think as an organization try and be a lot more humble at least to the to the exterior and try and be a lot quieter, you know, if if that's the right word for it and I think that that makes sense. I mean, wherever you can, try and try and keep the buzz down, you know, try and not make Babcock out to be the savior. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's been set up to fail because the team's not going to be good for probably at least 2 years. But, I mean, there's also, if they start turning up, you know what's going to happen, right? I mean, everyone's going to get on, on the bandwagon, and it's going to turn for them. So, But, you know, but, it, but it, hang it, on, hang on. We need ways. to stop on that point. That's a really, really, really good point, because what's going to happen? Let's say let's say they're better than expected. There's going to be this idea in the market. Well, you're, you're, you're pretty close, you know? Let's start. Let's Maybe this process can be accelerated. And that's where, you know, the, this, this talk of patience, that's when it's going to be really tested. You know, and, and, you know, Shanahan brought that up in his scrum and he said that was one of the questions that Mike Babcock asked is if they're close to a playoff spot next year, let's say, for instance, are they going to trade draft picks to get immediate help? And he said, no. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to be, they can talk they about should, they this. They just trade rental players. Like, Calgary did that, right? They traded Glenn Cross to Washington, even, exactly. though, even though they were making the playoffs. I mean, that's the perfect example of you got to make the right decisions. You know, you got to give up on those guys. So, you know, I, I can't remember who on, the, who on the Leafs will be coming up UFA. Maybe Polak is in the uh, last year's yep. deal. You know, trade a guy like that. You know, trade a guy like that in, in February or March. Get some assets and, and keep going. Well, and that brings me to what's going to be our final point. Uh, or final discussion topic, there's this idea floating around and, you know, even people at the, the press conference were talking about it, that now because they have Mike Babcock, maybe they should keep Dion Phaneuf and Phil Kessel, which yeah. I absolutely yeah. could not disagree with more. Yeah. Nothing should change. They should explore trades for Phaneuf, Kessel, Bozak, Lupo, whoever. They need to get as much, like if they can find a good trade for Phil Kessel, you make it 10 times. Do you agree? Yeah. No, I hundred percent. I mean, it's it's the same idea, right? It's the same theme, you know. It, just because you get Babcock doesn't. I mean, it. The team's still not good. No. You can you can put you can put Jesus in, in as the coach, and the, the, the team is still not good. And I know you follow a lot of the other major sports more than I do, but in other sports, the the coach or the manager can have a bigger impact than in hockey. I mean, maybe baseball is in line there with hockey, where the the manager doesn't have as big an impact. But in the NBA, you can have a big impact. NFL, absolutely, a coach can have a big impact. So, you know, you, a, a coach can take a good team and make them play great, or a coach can take an average team and make them play good. But you can't go more than one step higher. You, a coach can't take a bad team and make them great, or a bad team and make them good. He can make a bad team okay. Right. You know that's kind of what Ron Wilson managed sometimes with a bad team being okay. But 
You know, it's that that that. Well, and they don't want to be okay. Like that's the, yeah. and and I think that's one of the big things that they've been stressing is they don't want to be this. Like, let's say you keep all those guys because I don't know why, uh, but you keep them. You want to see what what Mike Babcock can do with this team. Where do you think they're going? Like, they're just going to be another middle of the road team, which is not what they want to become. They want to become Chicago. Like, who is every year? It seems like they're in the Final Four and they've got a chance to win the cup. Like, that's what you want to build, and that's why. Nothing should change. Like, their plan should remain the same. Do you expect them to do anything different now that they have Babcock, or do no. you think it, it all stays? No. There's always these discussions about, you know, is Nona's going to stay, or are they, you know, what are they going to do? And all the way along so far, they've made the right decision. Brendan Shan has made the right decision. I think he's going to make the right decision. I think his inclination at the end of the season was to move Funuf and Kessel. Maybe they hold on to them for six months. Maybe they hold them on to them for one season, but I think he is going to move them eventually, and that's going to be part of the plan. And the thing that they can do with Mike Babcock is they can rehab these guys a little bit. Maybe Phil Kessel has an amazing first 30, 35 games, and then you trade him. Maybe you trade him at the trade deadline. Yeah, that's valid. Maybe you, maybe Dion Funuf. I mean, I can envision... Mike Babcock likes Dion Phaneuf. You know, he he thinks he he works hard. I agree with him. I think he's right. He thinks he can be better than he's been in Toronto if you give him more support. And I think he's right. If they shelter Dion Phaneuf more than he was under under uh, Randy Carlyle, uh, people could be probably be surprised at how good Dion Phaneuf looks. People could probably be surprised at the numbers he puts up. And think about how much easier he would be to trade if you do that. I mean, that's so. There's maybe they keep both of them for the first half of the season. Uh, the team is, is, you know, whatever, 10th, 11th in the East, and then they trade them both, and then they fall down a little bit. I mean, that would be, that might be the, the smartest thing that Brendan Shanahan could do. Yeah, that's it. it I, I understand that viewpoint, but I mean, if you get a trade offer right now yep. that, that helps, you know, give, gives you young players picks, you don't have to take back any salary, you do it, you yeah, know, and you get done. That's what it's about. It's about the return. It's yeah. about, we talked about this all year last year. I mean, what they need to do, they need to pick a point, whether it's, three or four years from now, and do every move that they can to build towards those years. They have to pick their window when they're going to be good. And, you know, if Phaneuf just turned 30, if their window's four years from now, he's going to be 34, do we still think Dion Phaneuf making $7 million a year, basically a number one or a number two salary, no matter how high the cap goes, is going to be effective at 34 years old? No. Is he going to be part of a contender? No. So if you can get value for him while he's still 30, while he's having this good half season under Mike Babcock, you move him. And that point is double for Kessel. Yeah, because like the decline could be so much steeper. We could like this could be a Danny Heatley situation by thirty-one. Yeah, I mean it's who knows? Maybe not. The the tough thing with Kessel is he's had all these great seasons, and he had the one bad half season in uh, a situation where the whole team was having a bad Mm -hmm. half season. You you know, he's produced. Like people get on Kessel. Like Kessel has done his job. He's not. You're not going to like everything about him, but, I mean, you can't really argue with the production save for the second half. And it feels like it's going to come back, don't you think? I mean, if I had to make a production, sure. I, I would, if he plays the next season for the Leafs, even if the Leafs aren't good, he's probably going to produce. I mean, well, if I give you over-under 29.5 goals. No, that's I was going to say. Like over. 30-something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, low 30s like he has. And, and he's... He's still in his prime, maybe at the tail end of his prime. I think he's 27. I mean, maybe at the tail end of his prime, but it's, it's going to be so interesting. It'll be so interesting to see what this looks. And, I mean, I don't think we can 
over. Uh, I, we're hard on Randy Carlyle in this program, and some of what we're hard on is that his just usage of players. I mean, I saw it right when they first hired him. The things he was doing, like playing Dave Steckel 18, 19 minutes a game, and Jay McClemon and these yeah. guys. It's like, what is going on? Like, and I was thinking that almost immediately. Immediately, you know, I covered this. I covered the team for four years under Ron Wilson. As soon as they had Randy Carlyle in, it's like he was. He was doing some mind-boggling things, like right from the beginning, making making Mikhail Grabowski start every single shift in the defensive zone, et cetera, et cetera. I think you know Mike Babcock is going to make some very simple adjustments that are going to change a lot of things. I think people are going to see some of these players in different lights. I think we have to leave it there. So, seven months from now, we'll do this again. <laughs> No, this was good. I think we should, you know, maybe this becomes a monthly podcast and we do a bit longer ones or something like that. But, uh, yeah, it sounds good. It sounds good with you in the studio there. Okay. We'll have to make you do that every time. Sure. I only live downtown. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Well, uh, there's there's going to be so much, like, I still expect many things still to happen. Obviously, they still have to hire a general manager. We'll see what they do with the roster. So, I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about next month. Thanks, James. Yep. yep. Thanks, Jonas. Yeah. Yeah.